read um, verses 15 through 24. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Amen? So uh, we've been learning, you know, uh, that uh, as many sermons as we might listen to, perhaps in the thousands range, and I've probably heard at least that many, some of you as well, or as many books as you might read on marriage, uh, those of you that are married, married can testify that you really don't learn all that much until you've actually put a ring on it, if you know what I mean, right? And uh, sometimes that's known as the school of hard knocks. But uh, as you finally are married, being married not only teaches you um, a lot of what not to do and what to do, and, and as you read those books or attend those conferences or listen to those sermons, but uh, really you learn things about yourself uh, that you would have never known. Um, you know, I remember when I was a uh, single college kid uh, living in my cousin's house, uh, kind of the, you know, as the representative of my cousin over this house with about five single college guys. Um, you know, I was the head of the house in that sense. And I kind of laid out the cleaning schedules and, you know, when rent was due and what, and, you know, leading in that home. And uh, I thought I was a pretty good head of the home. You know, I thought I was pretty patient. I thought I was pretty clean. I thought I was pretty organized. And, uh, and it wasn't until a year later, it wasn't even a year later, like a month after the end of that season, that I got married and I found out, um, no, I'm horrible at organization. I'm really not clean. I've got piles all over the place. And uh, I'm really pretty selfish. And uh, those of you that have been married, realize, remember that first year of marriage, right? Um, when you found out how selfish you really are. And uh, I'm sure that Adam uh, Barney wouldn't mind me just sharing as I've asked him how the first month of marriage has gone. Uh, you know, he just said, man, I've been finding out how selfish I am. <laughs> and as I had lunch with him and Lauren on Sunday, Lauren said, yeah, me too. I'm selfish too. But um, marriage is really frighteningly self-revealing. Uh, we just realize how self-absorbed and how self-consumed uh, we are and continue to be. And man, this study, as I go through and just listen to tons of different guys and read tons of different guys, man, I really shouldn't be the one up here speaking to you all. I have fallen short in just so many of these areas. And so, um, you know, I just kind of come <laughs> just having been humbled all day on Wednesday and now bring stuff that um, hopefully the Lord will humble you as well and we can repent of our falling short and uh, allow his grace to just strengthen us. George Gilder wrote a book called uh, Men and Marriage, and he said, Marriage is the one institution that tames the chronic, deep-seated barbarianism of man. And so feel sorry for those men that never get married because they just tend to live the caveman lifestyle. No, just kidding. But have to have that deep-seated uh, root of self weed it out. And uh, as we found, marriage isn't you know, about to fulfill our greatest selfish dreams. It's really to glorify the Lord. And in glorifying the Lord, that process of sanctification is worked out in us through marriage where we are being made more and more holy every day that we're married. Every day that we're married, we find more self out, uh, selfish, sinful kernels of sin in our hearts out. And we're able to confess those sins, repent of those sins, and allow the Lord to work out victory in future, uh, future victory in those areas. And so um, rather than for selfish purposes, uh, with the end of God's glory being at heart, marriage is really more sanctifying than selfish. Polishes off those rough edges 
and uh, makes us more like Jesus. Um, this happens by the calling that we've heard in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, the great callings for both men and wisdom, or I shouldn't say men and women, but more husband and wife, uh, these great callings that are motivated by looking at the example of Jesus and then carried out by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, that works out this sanctification that we might begin to imitate and copy the model that Jesus has laid out for us in the Gospels in his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, in these callings in Ephesians chapter 5, for both the husbands and the wives, we're called to distinct roles that uh, can't be switched out uh, uh, one to another. Um, these distinct roles are a perfect expression of who Jesus is uh, in both his headship and his submission. Uh, Christ, uh, a Christ kind of submission uh, lived out on the part of the Christian wife and a Christ kind of love uh, we want to say a Christ kind of headship, but really it's more the Christ kind of love that's lived out on the part of the Christian husband. Both of these callings, both of these mandates uh, for the wife to submit and respect and for the husband to love and to sacrifice, uh, they are uh, requiring in us that radical self-slaughtering, <laughs> that radical self-denunciation, a death to self, and that's really one of the heart, the, the central things of the gospel is less of me, less of me, more of Jesus. And uh, God's redemptive in it all, even as we fall short, as we've been going through Romans chapter eight. Uh, you guys probably memorized at some point in your life Romans eight twenty eight that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. So in this um, suffering, in a sense, in the hard times in marriage, God is sovereignly working out uh, redemption, making us to be more like Jesus uh, through the sufferings, even within uh, marriage. As Art Azurdia has called these roles of submission and, and uh, love, loving headship, the choreographed dance of love, uh, he has said that these are with non-exchangeable steps. And uh, if you think of the old cartoons or whatever, where they're trying to teach men and women how to dance, and there's those footsteps on the floor, you know, and the, the men are blue and the women's are pink. You, you can't switch those around. These are non-exchangeable uh, footsteps. And so in the weeks to come, we will look at headship, uh, on the part of the husband, but we're wrapping up the section dealing with submission on the part of the wife. I want to give just a, a definition to each of these things as we move on. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like uh, servant leadership, uh, a lion-hearted type leadership, for him to provide protection and provision in the home. I'll say that again. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision uh, in the home. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. One more time, I'll say it again. The divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to carry it through according to her gifts. So this call for uh, women, or excuse me, I keep saying women, it's not just women, it's, it's specifically wives in this context of Ephesians chapter 5 is one of submission. We've learned it's not a dirty word and it's not even a word that's uh, solely to wives but to Christians everywhere. It's, a, it's an action that has been carried on and dignified, given value, because Jesus himself was submissive. In Ephesians 5.21, we see that submission is the destiny of everyone who names the name of Christ, as we're told before any of these roles are laid out, that we're to submit to one another in the fear of God. Now, 
Yes, that's true. Submit to one another, yielding to one another. But in the context and respect of marriage, uh, this definition could be that we're to submit. Uh, Submission on part of a Christian wife is defined as the voluntary yielding of the love uh, to the love of her husband. And we've said that probably four times now in this series. So hopefully, gals, you're kind of starting to maybe roll off your mind a little bit. Um, we gave this right definition uh, five weeks ago as we looked at Ephesians 5.22 where it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Uh, then we moved on to the next week where we looked at the motivation behind this, behind this Submission, And we find this uh, motivation at the second part of Ephesians 5.22, where wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That as to the Lord provides the motivation behind uh, submission. And a similar statement uh, at, the, at the tail end of the command to husbands also provides this motivation. Uh, it's motivated by the allegiance that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. So a right definition, a right uh, motivation, the right power behind this, Ephesians 5.18, that we're to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, last week, we looked at this dignity, uh, the worth, the value of submission, that it's given dig, uh, uh, dignity through the example of Jesus submitting himself and also in his headship over the church. And we looked last week at Ephesians 5.23, we see that the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And then this beautiful phrase at the end of 523, and he is the savior of the body. Not that he is the savior, not that uh, the husband is the savior, that would be a form of idolatry, but rather that uh, the husband emulates the savior-like love that Jesus had when he gave himself for the church when he spared nothing for her, when he held back nothing for her, but he sacrificed himself. This is the kind of love that Jesus has given as the head. And it brings great dignity to submission on the wife's part. This is not a chain of command we looked at last week. It's not military issue uh, love language here, but it shows affection, intimacy, romance, It's a love that caresses this headship type love. As one man said, the husband is the hammer, the wife is the chisel, the children are the non-participating object by which the hammer chisel does its effect. Uh, That wouldn't really be the design that God lays out in Ephesians chapter 5, but a lot of guys twist it and make it be something like that. So this model for a husband as head, we'll get into it in the weeks to come, is Jesus who spared nothing for the well-being of his bride. He always had her best interests in mind, the, the church's best interests. We talked about last week that that's not just whatever she wants necessarily, but whatever is going to conform her into his image, whatever is going to make her holy. And now we come to this week, the final uh, study in submission, at least for this marriage series. Uh, And that is the extent of submission. How far uh, do we take submission? Is there like a degree level? Is it when steam starts shooting out? What's the magnitude of submission? Are there boundaries to submission? Are there limitations to submission? Let's look at Ephesians 5.24. It says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, So let the wives be to their own husband in everything. In the Greek, the word everything means, nope. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It means everything. It means all things. And we can compare this to within the same scripture, uh, within the same verse, it's just as the church submits to Christ. And why wouldn't the church submit to Christ if she understands that his main concern is her greatest good. It's same for wives and husbands. Why wouldn't a wife submit to her husband if she knows that his main concern is her greatest good? And so Paul implies that there's this 
Christ being the head of the church. He says this because he has responsibility to us as our head. He leads us. He protects us. He provides for us among a few things. We have responsibility to him, not to move independent from him, not to refuse when he directs, but to respond right away, promptly, whenever he calls us to something. As we look at the human medical realm, we know that the the connection there between the head and the rest of the body is very important. Whenever someone is decapitated or makes their way to the guillotine, it's not going to be good for the whole relationship of the body, the head, the hands, the feet, the the eyes, the ears, those things. Uh, Separation is not healthy. Whenever the human body acts independently from the head, the medical community calls this a convulsion or a seizure. A dear friend of mine who was the administrator when I was on staff at Calvary Corvallis, uh, Kurt, man, he was like my source of wisdom, not He wasn't God or anything, but I know God spoke through him. I mean, this guy was like wise counsel to the core and a good friend. And sadly, the year I left, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and over the last three years has had to retire and has been losing, you know, um, just like bodily control, hands shaking and just his intellect. I talked to him on the phone yesterday and uh, he was just saying, I'm just discouraged because my intellect, I'm losing it. And, um, and so, and, and you can just kind of notice. And so, you know, outward man is perishing, the inward man being renewed day by day, I know. But um, anyways, to just see that uh, body not acting in unison with the head, it's, it's sad, for one thing. And it's disastrous. Uh, my grandpa, you know, when he was 85 when he passed away, but he had tremors. Um, (laughs) the whole time I knew him, but he would uh, just shake really bad. And he was a bombardier in World War II, and he would shake when he was a bombardier back in the war. And he'd be holding this bomb trigger, you know, flying over Europe, and he won the Pickle Barrel Award for accurate, you know, bomb dropping. But anyways, uh, towards the end of his life, I mean, I remember watching him holding a phone in his hand, and he was talking to somebody on the phone, and he had to lean up against the wall to hold, you know, and just these head our hands operating apart from the head. It's not good. Um, a friend of mine was in Hungary, and he has a condition where he just locks up. And uh, so he'd be walking along, and uh, in the middle of an intersection, he would freeze up like this. And we'd have to, like, pick him up and move him out of the street because his body couldn't move. Similar with my father, on the, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, when the head wants to speak to the body and the body won't move, it's similar to a stroke type condition. Uh, the, the head wills the body to move, but the body won't move. So convulsions and strokes are two different problems, but they're not altogether different. They're actually symptoms of one great problem, and that is a disconnect between the head and the rest of the body. And we don't want to have that as the church, and we don't want to have that as husband in, uh, and wives. As a congregation, we don't want to act independently from our head, who is Jesus. That would be some kind of a spiritual abnormality, a spiritual cancer, a disease, um, needing some sort of spiritual physical therapy. Spiritual therapy, I suppose, is how you'd say that. Um, we don't want to act apart and independent from Jesus as our head. But also, as the head speaks to us, we don't want to be slow and drag our feet to respond. We want to be right in sync, like that electrical current of nerve between the head and the hand. We want to be sensitive and hear the, the, the head speak, and we want to move right away. Um, knowing that our head loves us and cares for us and gave his life for us, and that His will and heart is to do what's best for us, makes us have a response that is just readily submissive at the drop of a hat. You know, when we hear that, feel that charge from the head telling us to move. Within uh, this submission, submission headship, there can be a lot of fears, thinking that the head will stifle us or that he'll demean us or he'll debase us, and that's happened in history. 
that will be dis, or that he'll disappoint us or he'll exploit us. And uh, and but looking at the headship of Christ, we know that's not the right kind of headship. That's not the godly headship that a husband uh, should be uh, provided. So the point of this, as Christ is the head of the church, um, is that as the church submits to Christ, so also the wife should should submit in everything to her husband. A connection between the head and the heart, or the head and the feet, the rest of the body. There needs to be that. If it's severed, it'll be disastrous. We're going to look at today the extent of this, and the first thing I want to let you know is uh, what submission does not mean, what the call to submission does not mean for you Christian wives out there, future Christian wives perhaps. First of all, the call to submission does not mean that all Christian women must submit to all Christian men. Again, verse 21, there's to be a mutual submission to each other as, as uh, Christians. As citizens, we submit to the governing authorities over us, the word tells us. As parishioners, we submit to the elders and pastors that God has placed over us. As employees, we submit to the employers that God's placed over us. And um, this capacity to exercise a lifestyle of submission and joy and eagerness in submission is directly uh, connected to how well we're connected to the head, how well we're connected to Jesus, the head of the body. Um, in verse, uh, I'm kind of sensing the time crunch here. In uh, verse 22 and verse 24, we see that wives are to submit to their own husband, the language shows us. And in verse 24, that it's to husbands, uh, the, the husband specifically, not men. And aren't you gals gl glad that it doesn't say women submit to men, right? Um, I'm actually glad for that too. God knew what he was doing when he inspired the scriptures. Um, and so for a lot of you gals, a lot of what we've gone through in the last five weeks it, you know, it's kind of out there for you until you enter into the covenant of marriage. But once that, has, that covenant has been made, uh, you get to yield to your spouse, to your husband for the rest of your life. And so this is a very important question that single ladies in the church, uh, you will want to ask yourself. So write it down in the margin of your Bible and put when I'm going to get engaged um, or for you wise counselors out there who have friends, have granddaughters, who have uh, sisters that are going to be getting married, daughters that are going to be getting married, you want to have your female friend ask themselves this question when they're on the brink of engagement. And that is, is this the guy that I am prepared to yield my life for the rest of my life? That's a, a very important, crucial uh, question to ask, and it's not anything that pastors can answer for you or for your friends or grandmas or wise. It's something that they need to answer for themselves. Am I prepared to yield for the rest of my life to this man? Yes, I like his looks. He likes my looks. I like the outdoors. He likes the outdoors. I like my uh, he likes my parents, I like his parents, we both like dogs, we both like flannel, you know, whatever. Um, but is this the person? None of that matters uh, unless you are willing to voluntarily, as a, as a responsible, free individual, to yield in submission to him in all areas for the rest of your life. Another great question to ask is, can I respect him enough as a human being, to yield to him for the rest of my life. It's kind of sad to look out there and see you gals going, mm -mm. I'm just kidding. No one was doing that. <laughs> um, now, just because the husband has been given this office of authority over um, women, oh, uh, excuse me, over wives, I keep catching myself, which is good, right? You can tell how faulty I've been. No, I'm, I'm learning and growing. But it doesn't mean that men have the inherent ability to be leaders. Um, 
you know, they need to grow in walking with the Lord and grow in the knowledge of the scriptures as well. It doesn't mean that they have this inherited strength to lead on a spiritual level or on an intellectual level. And some guys are going to be weaker at that. Some guys are even going to be weaker at that than their wives. As the Puritan exhorted Christian wives, if you have the management of a ship, see that a fool is not placed at the helm. So for all of you that you have those sisters, you know, I look around a lot of married people, you know, um, a lot of people that uh, have, have been there already. But man, we are just surrounded with people that are engaged. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I've done four weddings, I think, this summer already. We've got another one by October. And uh, people are getting engaged like crazy. So as you hear of, of the, uh, the rings being bought, <laughs> you might present these questions uh, to people like the medieval knight said in the Indiana Jones uh, movie as he prepares to drink from all the different or from one out of all of the different vessels and the the medieval knight says you must choose wisely you know and that's because if you drink out of the wrong one it's going to be fatal and you know they're going to shrivel up and turn into skeletons and fall down um, PG-13 sorry the Bible does not require the submission of women to men, but rather the submission of a woman to a man, a, hus- uh, a wife to a husband. And, you know, in God's mandate here and in God's calling, he does something very uh, supernaturally uh, wise because he protects her from other duties um, from, from other men or from just anybody. The, the woman is actually uh, given a, a protection around her through this call specifically to her husband. Um, and so lots of good wisdom there for um, future brides, for future wives. And uh, I think of my sister Heather, who is 32, I think, and she's single and she's only like, dated like on a really small scale not for very long anybody you know can probably count on two fingers the guys she's dated since high school I think you know that means two people that she's like you know and just on a small scale and um and I've just been proud of her you know I know this is God's grace but you know all of her all of her friends that I can think of for marriage have gotten married and have gotten divorced since high school and and Heather's never been married and she's never settled. She's always, you know, charged in her walk with Jesus. She's very spiritually mature. And some guys that have come around that have just, you know, they, they have no walk with the Lord. They have no substance in their relationship with Christ. They don't have a devotional life. They don't worship God, you know. They, they follow after other idols regularly, you know. And my sister just, I just don't want to settle you know, I don't want to be leading my husband spiritually for the rest of our life. And, and I'm just very thankful for, you know, God giving her the wisdom to, you know, to just wait, to just wait. Has the desire to be married, but, um, but God's protected her so far. You know, and, and it's good because a godly woman should never lower her standards. Some good wisdom from Artaxerdia that marrying a man who does not have the intellectual or spiritual strength to lead the home is just asking for trouble. It's just asking for trouble. And he references Abigail with Nabal back in 1 Samuel and how her husband was a, was a jerk, you know, and he, he was a lazy man. He was not a man of compassion or a man that shared, he shared you know. And, uh, and later on, she left him. And so uh, there's a, a broad call. This broad everything call for wives to submit to their husbands in all things, um, but it doesn't mean women to men, and it doesn't mean uh, all Christian women to all Christian men, specifically uh, wives to husbands. Number two, what this call to submission does not mean. It does not mean that the husband is the ultimate authority. All right. The ultimate authority in her life uh, is God and God's authorities that he's set up in the eldership structure and the church. So what this means is if your husband is in sin, gals, um, you don't just have to sit back and take it, but you get to go to the authority in your husband's life 
uh, and you can share your concerns and you can have the elders be involved in the sanctifying process of your husband. Um, is anyone here like just know homes where the husband is like God and the husband is the dictator and the, the God and the husband is um, like the authority. Um, it's like maybe partially created things. You know, I do. I was raised not in my personal home, but in the extended <laughs> Rogers dwellings um, to see this kind of uh, headship. And it's very scary and it's very sad. You just think of uh, just how these people have missed out um, just getting away from God's total design there. Number three, submission does not mean that the wife becomes a slave who never opens her mouth or gives her opinion or counsel. Seen it. Anyone else seen it? <laughs> I've, I've seen this uh, false view uh, personally. Let's look at Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 12, where we have an example um, in Abraham's life. So the child grew, this is Isaac, and he was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she'd born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's sight because of his son, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And so, um, you know, Abraham didn't just say, shut up, woman. You know, we're keeping everybody here. You know, uh, the Lord was like, hey, listen to her. There's wisdom in what she's saying. And it's all part of my plan. Uh, in Acts 18, 26, you see Priscilla and Aquila coming together and explaining to Apollos the way of God more accurately. Uh, you know, there was this teamwork in ministry where they both spoke and shared and took him. And, and you know, Apollos was able to learn something even from um, Priscilla. I always forget which one was the girl. <laughs> Come on, give some manly names, dads. Okay, Judges thirteen twenty one. Uh, we have another example. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, and Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we've seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So just the, the wisdom from a wife speaking up and sharing what's on her mind. It's not a bad thing. It is a good thing. It's a gift from God. As Proverbs uh, 19.14 concludes, that a prudent wife is from the Lord. A wise wife is from the Lord. This is part of a virtuous wife that we read of in Proverbs 31. And so some gals will go to their Bible and they'll look at Colossians 3 and 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 7 and they'll read these calls for them to submit to their husband, and, uh, and she'll just kind of clam up and think that it means that he makes all the decisions, he alone thinks through all the issues in the home, he's the boss, I just shut up and do what I'm told, and, uh, and that's just where we've come um, so much in the Christian church. But we can look at Jesus and Jesus' example of even submission to the Father and that's not how it was between them. As you read in uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane passage, you know, he says, even though he says, you know, the Father has sent me, and I say what the Father tells me to say, I do what the Father tells me to do. Uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he sweat great drops of blood, he says, you know, here's, here's my desire. You know, my desire would be, if at all possible, let this cup of crucifixion, excruciating torment, on a wooden implement of execution, let this pass. There's, there's my desire. Here's my input. If there's any other way, please, <laughs> Father, let this cup pass. <coughs> He's submissive <coughs> in his prayer. Excuse me. <coughs> but he's passionate. <coughs> 
<coughs> he's submissive in his prayer, but he's also very vocal. He is not, you know, just quiet and passive and, you know, clams up, you know, he's without opinion, without any conversation or communication. No, communication, conversation, sharing the opinion, it's good. And, and so, wives, you can gain a little bit of knowledge here in looking at Jesus and, and how to submit and to share and to passionately plea. Some gals, though, in their clamming up and in their never saying anything, they're just showing that they have a, more of a fear of man than they do of God. And the Proverbs say that a fear of man is a snare. There's a biblical counselor by the name of Ed Welch who said that fear in the biblical sense is to be afraid of someone. In this case, she's afraid of her husband, his displeasure, his frustration, his discouragement. But this fear extends to holding someone in awe. My husband's just way too big and Jesus and what he's calling or what he's putting on my heart or the thoughts he's putting in my mind, you know, those are way too small. But my husband, he's like, second in command to, to you know, God. Uh, he's the president of, uh, you know, <laughs> all things uh, that go on in my mind. He goes on to say, instead of a biblically guided fear, we replace God with people. Instead of this biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. In our teens, it's called peer pressure. When we're older, it's called people-pleasing. A newer term uh, being used is codependence, or in an unhealthy marriage, we might also use the word enabling. And there's a big difference between a, a submissive wife and an enabling wife. A submissive wife says, he's submitting to the Lord, I'm submitting to him, I'm helping him honor the Lord. But an enabling wife says, he's not submitting to the Lord, he's not yielding to his master, but I'm submitting to him, therefore I'm enabling him, not really helping him, as I've been designed to do, Genesis chapter 2 tells us. And so wives, in your submission, it's good for you to know that you don't have to be afraid. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 6 says, For you gals not to give way to fear. As it says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. What Peter is saying here is, dear wife, fear not. Don't be afraid to open up and say what is right. The temptation is to think that uh, your life as a wife will be miserable if you will do what the Bible tells you to do. Gosh, God is in control. God is sovereign. God is going to bless. God will bring favor. Yes, there's times that you know, you're going to partake in the sufferings of Christ as you stand with him. But his way is better. Don't live out the worst case scenario, but rather live out of faith and live with the best case scenario that God will bless as you obey him. If we get into the idea that I can't trust anyone but myself and what I'm thinking right now, I can't trust Ephesians chapter 5, I can't trust 1 Peter chapter 3, I can't share wisdom that I feel God's giving me for this particular situation, then you're thinking that you're better than God. And that's the same lie that was in Genesis chapter 2. You know, did God really say, you know, why don't you eat the apple? You'll have knowledge like he does. Man, look to the word. He's given you knowledge, gals. He's given you um, to your husband as a helpmate. Number four, submission does not mean that a wife is inferior to her husband. Again, that 1 Peter 3, 7, the next verse there, uh, says that we are heirs together of the grace of life. You know, we're both made in God's image. There's equality in our worth. Different distinction in our roles, but, but there's equality of worth. And we've both been redeemed from our sin by the blood of the Lamb. We are heirs together of the grace of life. Number five, the call to submission does not mean that a Christian wife uh, must follow her husband into sin. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> As Colossians says, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, so if your husband is calling you to submit and to do some sort of sin, uh, you can remember Colossians 3.18, a sister verse to Ephesians 5.22 and 24, that it's, it's as is fitting to the Lord, as is going to glorify the Lord, as the Lord would ask you to do in asking you to submit. So we're comparing the relationship between the Christ and the church and that of husband and wife. Is there any limitation to the church's submission to Jesus? No, we will do everything he asks. You know, we're aware that everything he does is with our best interests at heart, uh, that we might be made holy and glorify him uh, in the end. And so it just logically follows that we're going to submit to that kind of headship. Uh, and the same goes with uh, a husband who always has his wife's welfare and holiness as his greatest end, uh, she'll gladly follow, but not follow into sin. That's, that's opposite of what Jesus would have you to do or lead you into. Wives, you're to submit to him in all areas until he does two things. Until he forbids you to do something that God commands or if he commands you to do something, God forbids. Okay, that's both where, where you can draw the line. I'll say that again. You can submit to him or shall submit to him in all areas until he forbids you to do something God commands. Read your Bible. You know, quit reading your Bible. <laughs> Be in, uh, involved in fellowship and serving the body. Quit going to church. Quit serving in that capacity. Quit serving. And uh, at these points, your welfare is not his greatest interest. Your holiness is not his greatest concern. So man is the secondary authority that, that he's placed in your life. Uh, he himself, his mandate, his commands being the first uh, authority there. Even the government, which is a secondary authority. Yes, we're to submit to the governing authorities, but if they ask you to do something that is contrary to the law of God or forbid you to do something that God has asked you to do, then that is where you uh, humbly and in a Christian way disobey uh, this governing authority. A little practical here. Uh, if your husband asks you wives to call in sick for him, but he's not sick, then you can just say, no thanks, all right? Um, <laughs> if uh, you're filling out your tax returns and you jointly made $70,000, but the husband says, you know what, we're only going to claim uh, $45,000 of that, then uh, wives, you need to stand up and stand for the truth uh, and get this, your husband's uh, spiritual brothers involved in the Lord to help uh, speak the word of God into his life. Um, literally have had this happen. Uh, not in my marriage, or was it, um, where a spouse said, honey, let's wreck our snowmobile and turn it into the insurance so we can get a nicer, newer snowmobile. Convicted, aren't you, Lindsay? We'd have never had a snowmobile. So we have these examples even in the Bible, in Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are out there in the plains of Dura, and... Nebuchadnezzar built this statue, and at the sound of the horn and trumpet and sackbut, King James Version, that's the trombone, uh, they were to bow their knee and to worship this statue. But this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we, we fear the Lord more than we fear man. Or in chapter 6 of Daniel, where they weren't to pray to anybody but to uh, King Darius, and you know, Daniel said, no, I, I pray to the one true God. And just like they faced consequences and had to partake in the suffering and shame, um, so sometimes you gals will too in these cases of, of humble and Christian-like disobedience to your husbands. You may face persecution. You may face some, face some kind of wrath. This is all part of taking up the cross of Christ. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, uh, you know, we have Peter and John, they're arrested for preaching the gospel. They're commanded by the Sanhedrin to stop, as it says there, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? 
And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And then by down in verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Uh, so, uh, yes, you know, living with consequences here to submission to God. Sometimes there's persecution after it, but anything else is idolatry. Fearing man rather than fearing God and choosing to obey man rather than choosing God. Uh, there's idol worship happening there. There's a time when a wife has to say, I must obey God rather than man. Even that man who is my husband. Uh, the church's submission to Christ is encompassing. It's total. It's that everything word. And it's also unqualified. That means it has, it's, it's unlimited. It's um unrestricted. We obey the Lord in everything that he commands us. The difference though with the wife's submission to her husband is that it too is all-encompassing, but it is qualified. It is limited by her ultimate allegiance to her Lord Jesus Christ. You guys getting it? Okay. Um, finally, what submission, uh, we'll throw a positive spin at it. What it does mean, this call to everything submission means that the Christian wife must exercise submission in every area of her life. That's that prepositional phrase of the Apostle Paul, in everything. Or as we might say, it's all-encompassing. There is a whole broad scope and duration that covers all of the aspects of the relationship of this marriage, and she shares it all with her husband. Now, this doesn't mean or doesn't suggest that there's no room for freedom or individuality or expression, but it is to say that a wife should never move unilaterally apart from the head or in some kind of uh, defiant, rebellious, non-compliant uh, self-sufficiency. That's away from the submission that God speaks of in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's beautiful, though, that, that wives are still individuals. And we've, you know, we redneck, jerky-eaten men have kind of stolen away this individuality from our wife. I know I've fallen into it. Will you forgive me, honey? Just lots of conviction as I've been listening to these studies. Uh, husbands, this Total, all and everything submission can never be an excuse for us to steal away the identity of who God made our wives. He made her with her personality and her likes and her dislikes and, you know, her voice uh, for a reason. It might be news to you that she's entitled to her own opinion. So often when we're in a conversation and just Honey speaks up with something that's a little different than what I said. You know, we slap the, you know, how dare you submit, you know. That, how dare you, dis, you know, disagree with me in front of, it's not disagreement. Sharing another opinion, bringing in another perspective, that's actually really good. She can have her own opinion and it can be in line with ours or different than ours, drastically different than ours. Hopefully biblical, right? Hopefully, you know, that's where our line is there. But, um, you know, we need to keep that individual personality that God has given her. She can have her own feelings and her own opinions and her own thoughts. Uh, doesn't mean that she has to be mute or silence um, or have some kind of forced agreement. I've seen it. I've seen this forced agreement. I've seen this shut your mouth type headship. And it is dishonoring to God. It's dishonoring to the Lord. Um, uh, to quote Art again, he says, I've observed, and, and just to hear this um, wisdom from a, a sage counselor, I've observed over the years and years and years and have witnessed the consequence of this kind of thing again and again and again. A husband oppressively dominates his wife, controls his wife, manages and exploits his wife so that she squelches her perspective. She shuts it down. She closes off year after year after year until finally, like a bottle of Coke, she explodes in defiance. That is the antithesis of everything she's been trying to be, often at times completely renouncing her Christianity. 
And how sad for uh, we husbands to oppress our wives and, and you, know, um, you know, put her in a, in a hamper, in a sense, uh, with her opinions and with her voice and with her desires and with her gifts. And um, that it would even lead so far as to them walking away from Christ uh, because of an oppressed headship. Um, it's good for our wives to articulate differences of opinion, to question our conclusions. Hard on the pride, right, guys? <laughs> but good. It's good to have our conclusions uh, questioned or if there's any error in our thinking. Um, you know, if she has love and humility um, and her communication is Christ-like, this is really good. And it actually is um, a boost to our headship to have such a wife that, that helps us in this way. So husbands, join me. Let's stop hiding, you know, our bruised egos behind the allegation that our wife is being unsubmissive. When she really is being submissive, she's just walking in a biblical submission. Stop hiding behind Ephesians chapter 5.22 and, uh, and let that be uh, more of a godly view of headship, which we'll get into in the weeks to come. Close with a Piper quote here, and um, you can come on up, Tammy. When a man senses a primary God-given responsibility for the spiritual life of the family, gathering the family for devotions, taking them to church, calling for prayer at meals, when he senses a primary God-given responsibility for the discipline and education of the children, the stewardship of money, the provision of food, the safety of the home, the healing of discord. That special sense of responsibility is not authoritarian or autocratic or domineering or bossy or oppressive or abusive. It is simply servant leadership. And I have never met a wife who is sorry she married a man like that because when God designs a thing like marriage, he designs it for his glory and for our good. Amen. God, make us those humble, self-sacrificing leaders that it would be natural and a joy to submit to on our wife's part. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.